Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football recruiting and more for InsideIndieSports.com on the Rivals Network. The Inside Indy Sports Podcast is presented by Dead Soxy, makers of the best premium socks I've ever owned. Dead Soxy dropped its gift guide last week and added a 12-pair bundle of navy and gold socks that suits the allegiances of our Inside Indy Sports Podcast listeners. And there's still time to get the bundle before Christmas if you complete your order by Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern. What you're going to do is head to deadsoxy.com forward slash gift hyphen guide. Select the holiday bundle navy and gold option, add it to your cart. And then when you go to check out, enter promo code LUCKY, L-U-C-K-Y, and get the entire bundle for $84. That's a $36 discount to get you an excellent holiday gift. The holiday bundle comes with free priority two-day shipping and a free mesh sock wash bag to help keep your socks in good shape. The holiday bundle presentation is pretty sharp, I must say. I've shared photos of it on Twitter and the Insider Lounge message board. It looks so good that you can just stick a bow on the box and not have to worry about any wrapping paper malfunctions. I just loaded my own sock drawer with some more dead socksy socks, so I'm telling you that these things are the real deal. Happy holidays from our friends at Dead Soxy, and as always, stay Soxy. The early signing period is upon us. Wednesday starts the three-day signing period for the 2023 class. Notre Dame entered the week with 26 commitments and the number four class in the country, but it is trying to hang on to a pair of commitments that are far from solid at this point in five-star safety Peyton Bowen and four-star running back Jaden Lamar. Naturally, we wanted to devote this episode to covering recruiting, so we reached out to Rivals National Recruiting Analyst and Rankings Director Adam Friedman to talk about the average class and the latest trends in recruiting. Adam, thanks for joining us. Absolutely, Tyler. I appreciate you guys having me on this time of year. It's always fun to talk Notre Dame on signing day or near signing day here and um, always in the news, the Fighting Irish are this time of year. Yeah, absolutely. Before we jump into our recruiting topics, I just wanted to get a snapshot of what these next 48 hours look like you during this this final push for the early signing period? It was going to be about 40 hours of, of being awake. And, <laughs> uh, um, you know, a, a lot of uh, updating on the site here. We've got, uh, we're, we're up to about 45 announcements or so that we're tracking for tomorrow, all from three stars all the way up to five stars, portal prospects, junior college prospects that we're also tracking. Don't forget about those guys. Um, but uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot of uh, communication uh, across the country with all of our team, all of us, all of the team sites, making sure that uh, Rivals is bringing the best coverage uh, to the recruiting process. Adam. This is not the first year of NIL or the transfer portal, but it seems like it's the first year where everybody's found the loopholes and everybody's found how they can exploit it. And I think it alarms a lot of people in terms of the culture of college football, where's recruiting going. Do you think this is a trendsetter or do you think 2024 could be a very different cycle with lessons learned or what, what's your sense of where all this is headed? I think it's going to be the, the exact same next year unless the rules are changed again, which, you know, who knows if they will or not. I hope they change maybe not some of the rules, but some of the timing of when things happen. Um, I don't think that'll happen next year, honestly. Um, you know, I think we're going to be exactly where we're at right now with the chaos of all of it happening at the same time uh, next year. The portal windows are, are, you know, it's open until I think January 11th uh, is when this first portal window closes. And then the next one opens up uh, in the spring, right after spring ball. And, you know, we'll see how uh, 
we'll see what happens then. Uh, that's when we'll finish up the, the 2023 transfer portal class. Uh, right now we've got, I think we're up to about 429 players in the Rivals transfer portal rankings. All of those players have been rated with stars and Rivals ratings and ranked in order. Then we're adding about 60 more today. So we're gonna be uh, up, up around 500 players rated and ranked on rivals.com in our transfer portal rankings by the end of the day, uh, heading into a Wednesday signing period. And um, the, com the combination of players having this, this ability to transfer without sitting out a year, along with the NIL uh, uh, you know, factors playing into it, is, it's really the wild west out here, that's for sure. I want to tell our listeners too, if you haven't checked out the transfer tracker, it is so cool. You can sort by positions. You can sort by origin of school. You can, uh, the transferring to school, um, and then by class, it's really a great, uh, tool. What's the short way for people to get there? Rivals.com slash transfer. Tracker? It's portal.rivals.com. Okay. Or if you go to rivals.com in the top banner, you can, uh, you know, find the transfer portal right there at the top and click in there and find the tracker, the rankings. Uh, you can find the message board. You can find the front page where all of the uh, stories for portal uh, um, uh, entries and, and exits. We just had this morning, uh, Devin Leary, a, a huge, huge announcement for him going to Kentucky. Uh, one of my guys from South Jersey, I ended up at NC State and of course had a great season before he was, got hurt this year and he's heading over to Kentucky next year. Um, so lots of news always coming up and, uh, you know, look for the, some of these schools, Notre Dame, not, not taking too much of an active role in the portal, but there are a lot of teams out there who may be taking five to 10 high school kids and filling out the rest of their class with, with transfers. So, uh, you definitely want to bookmark that page because news is coming fast and furious this time of year. Well, we need a bookmark page for, uh, instructions on how to talk Notre Dame fans off the ledge. <laughs> <laughs> There's some good players out there. You know, Notre Dame's always been tough with transfers in, transfers out. It's, it's always tricky there. But, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, big name players in there. If you look at the top 40 or 50 right now, these are very recognizable names. A lot of them Notre Dame had offered and, and recruited when they were in high school. So, um, you know, if you're not getting these players, definitely players that you will remember and um, may end up having to play against, you know, down the road, especially, you know, come, come playoff time too. Some of these kids are going to – to big name schools who, who will be impact players. Adam drew pine who started 10 games for Notre Dame this season announced yesterday that he was committing to Arizona state. What are your thoughts on that fit for him and the future of his college career? I don't want to sound on unbi or bias here or anything, but drew pine was, that uh, was my guy coming out of high school. I, I was a big fan of drew. We had him at rivals camp a couple of times. I went and saw him up at his school a couple of times and uh, what a fantastic kid. I uh, really enjoyed covering him and, and uh, watching him play at Notre Dame and, and handled this season really well. I know it was, it was rough there for a little while, but really got it going. And uh, I'm happy to see him uh, land on his feet as, at Arizona State. And um, I'm expecting him to, you know, really continue to develop there. Coach Dillingham has an offense where, you know, it's very quarterback friendly. We saw that with Bo Nix this year up at, up at Oregon. And um, I expect Drew to, to kind of land on his feet there and, um, you know, have, have similar success. The Pac-12 is a different animal than Notre Dame's schedule. Um, and, you know, it's a lot of wide open offenses, that's for sure. So uh, I think Drew will uh, will thrive in that situation. Just since we're talking about quarterbacks, I get, something just popped in my head. So you've seen a lot of these guys 
and rated them. So let's take Pine, Buckner, Minchie, and Jelly Carr. If you listed them only on upside, who who would you who would be like your top three in that group? Pine, Buckner, and Jelly, and Minchie, and who was the other one? Carr. Carr. Oh, Carr. Carr yeah. Car, yeah, Car's, uh, you know, he's got the highest ceiling, I think. Uh, I mean, we've all kind of seen that. He's got a lot of, he comes with a lot of the tools that some of the other guys don't necessarily have. Um, I like Buckner's uh, mobility um, and what he's able to do, uh, especially outside the pocket. Minchie is similar in that regard. He is an athlete. He has a big arm um, when he when that shoulder is is 100%. And I love the way Pine thinks about the game and and just processes information. Um, and I just haven't seen a ton of Angeli at the next level just yet. But as a high school recruit, uh, just one of the uh, toughest competitors I saw out there, a bigger guy who who understands how to play within a system and uh, distributes the ball well. So um, that's kind of the order that I'd have it in with a little bit of an incomplete next to Angeli just because we haven't seen a ton of them since high school yeah he's he's the sort of enigma right now even though I mean obviously the recruits are a bit of enigmas too but I think some Notre Dame fans wanted to see Steve Angeli at some point this season and that that didn't necessarily happen and now it seems like Tyler Buckner is going to be able to go in the Gator Bowl and prevent Steve Angeli from playing a lot there as well um I'm curious from from a broader perspective with Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame now have you noticed a difference in the kind of athlete that Notre Dame seems to be targeting on the recruiting trail? Yeah, the higher end athletes are are front and center more now than they were in the past, I think. And it's more of an overt effort, uh, I think, uh, more more well known than it was in the past. Sometimes, you know, under Brian Kelly, I think the uh, the recruiting process, I think, was a little bit understated, I want to say, uh, whereas with Notre Dame and, and now with Coach Freeman running the ship, um, they're out there. I mean, almost every week you saw Coach Freeman on a podcast doing an interview, um, you know, on TV or what have you. And, you know, he's pitching this program and, and making sure that confidence in his team is is still sky high, which it should be, I think. I mean, these guys, you know, there's a lot of talent on that team and there's a lot uh, a lot to be excited about in South Bend, uh, especially when you look at this recruiting class where they sit number four currently heading into signing day. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's the main difference that I've seen there. There are some big time athletes at the at Notre Dame has and is trying to hold on to and and even early in the process we can talk about it you know Keon Keeley uh Dylan Edwards Elijah Page Justin Rett Cedric Irvin these guys are no joke these guys are big time players and that's why they work and continue to be recruited by other big time programs and uh you know that's kind of a credit to Notre Dame and the way that they were able to get these guys on board they're 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 playing with the big teams out there and they're recruiting with the big teams as well Adam Notre Dame fans, a lot of Notre Dame fans are in this boat. They look and they see Dan, or Keon Keeley decommit, and they see Dante Moore thing kind of blow up and not happen. And then Peyton Bowen's been shopping since January 1st uh, for, for alternatives. And, and the question comes down to, for them, is Notre Dame going to be able to be competitive? If they, if, are they fully going to be able to take advantage of Marcus Freeman's recruiting prowess if there's not dirty money involved? I think so. Um, maybe not so much before the 12-team playoff comes, but uh, I think they absolutely can. I mean, look, when the 12-team playoff comes, how many years – I haven't done the math on this, but how many years has it been in a row where Notre Dame finishes in the top 12? Uh, you know, it's, they're going to be in the playoff. They're probably more than likely going to be hosting a playoff game right. in South Bend. 
in the um, snow. years and years in a row too. Yeah. I mean, that they're going to be able to compete when you get this team on the field against these teams, you know, they're, they're going to be right there. They've got the talent to do that. They're recruiting in a way that, um, you know, it allows them to hold up against some of those bigger teams, those more high powered teams that you're going to see, uh, you know, come January, really. Um, you look at the way they've recruited in the offensive line in this class and, you know, quarterback, they've got Carr coming in sooner rather than later, I think. And, you know, they've got some better athletes on the outside defensively. They're very solid as well. Um, you know, I think that you might see fewer and fewer of these types of decommitments once Notre Dame is consistently in the playoffs, like they probably will be when there's a 12 team playoff. Adam, you you mentioned Drew Pine as a guy that you really liked as a recruit. Devin Leary as a guy from your area that you went to bat for. Are there any Notre Dame commits in this class? And don't, they don't necessarily have to be in your area, but guys that you insisted on being sort of ranked where they are and sort of felt really strongly about um, them being ranked uh, as a highly touted guy. Yeah, I mean, there are a few of them. Um, I, I really liked um, like Bubakar Traor uh, early on. Um, I thought that he pre ankle injury, you know, this is the second year he got injured, but pre ankle injury, I thought he was a guy who who should definitely be in the top 200. Uh, that was heading into this senior season. And unfortunately, you know, the ankle injury happens and, and we're, uh, we're waiting to see on how things bounce back from there. But uh, he's somebody I was I was pretty excited about, and I, I love the tandem of offensive linemen from North Carolina and Sam Pendleton and Sullivan Absher. Uh, big fans of those guys and their ceilings. I think they're they're great fits in the offensive line scheme that Notre Dame is running. Um, and you know, I think uh, I'm scrolling up the list here. I, I like the ceiling of Armel Mukum. I think he's going to take a minute to develop, but there's a lot of physical traits there that you like. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he develops against this. Uh, you know, this level of competition when he gets to South Bend and certainly Notre Dame has had some success with Woodbury Forest kids. So uh, those are just a few from my region. Uh, outside of my region, obviously, we love Peyton Bowen. Uh, just love the playmaking ability of Jaden Greathouse. Uh, very, very interested to see, though, how his skill set translates to the bigger, faster, stronger college game, uh, whether he's a tight end, whether he's a receiver, whether, you know, how, how they use him and match him up in, in their scheme. Um, and then, you know, one of the, we had a pretty big conversation about Brendan Vernon on the last rankings call. Um, we are very excited to see him in all-star season. And I, we hope that he's uh, really bring, bringing it, we'll say in the, in the all-star season. Um, definitely going to be under the microscope there. Adam, I'm working on a story on Christian Gray and I was researching Notre Dame's cornerbacks and my goodness, it's been three-star you. At, at cornerback and and then they get Benjamin Morrison and uh Jaden Mickey and then in this class Micah Bell and Christian Gray and compared to Morrison and Mickey do you how do you look at Bell and Gray are they guys that are going to enrich that room that cornerback room and maybe contribute early tremendously Yes, uh, without a doubt, I think uh, Christian Gray been very high on for for a while. He was, you know, we know we all we've known about Christian Gray for years, um, you know, transferring here and there. But we're we're big fans of his, and I think he'll uh, he'll shine early for Notre Dame in the defensive backfield and in minutes in a similar fashion. He might take him a more of a minute or so to adjust to the uh, to the speed and 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 quickness of outside receivers, but. Um, excited to see what they're going to be able to do for Notre Dame, um, you know, against some of these more high powered offenses. Like we said, when this, when this playoff comes, you're going to Notre Dame, who's going to be probably in the playoff more consistently than not 
is going to come across offenses with really high powered outside receivers. Um, and you're going to need cornerbacks like these guys that are big and fast and, and experienced against some top end guys. You know, the, these guys are not, not unfamiliar with important big receivers from the seven on seven circuit uh, in the off season. They've come across these guys before, uh, but playing on the field under the lights the, in the college level is going to be a little bit of a different animal, but these guys have the, the skill sets and experience to be able to, hit the ground running almost um, and not be, be, you know, just caught up in the moment. Adam uh, linebacker, Preston Zinter and safety Adon Schuler were two guys that dropped down to three-star recruits. I'm curious, what were you hoping to see out of him? Maybe that you didn't see in their se senior seasons. Yeah. Um, you know, anybody who's followed my comments on these guys in the past knows I'm a big fan of their games. It's more about where they are in their development at this point uh, with Zinter. Uh, he's a big linebacker. He's going to be an inside guy more than likely. Um, he's, you know, I'm interested to see how his speed matches the college speed, how his mental process allows him to quickly read and react and flow to the ball uh, when he sees it and is in his running to the ball he's going to arrive with a, with a thud. He's going to hit some players. He's going to jar the ball loose. He's going to knock players backwards because he is a big guy. I'm just more interested to see in how he physically develops and, and how that affects his overall speed. Now with Schuler, the traits are there. Speed, he hits people. He comes downhill. I'm interested to see, though, how he adjusts to the coverage schemes and defenses. Is he able to play real you know the center field if he needs to is, is he going to be able to cover a lot of ground quickly and arrive at the right time for uh for a safety to uh, make big plays we know he can come downhill and make plays near the near the line of scrimmage he isn't the biggest guy he's not the tallest or the longest guy but he is physically mature so again i'm also interested to see how the strength and conditioning program uh affects him once he gets to the next level I got a couple of guys I wanted to ask you about Adam. When we had Adam Gorney on, he was explaining the rankings and I'm, I hope I'm not misquoting him here, but he said like linebackers don't typically, it's hard for them to get five-star status because it mimics the NFL draft in terms of position priorities or position. Yeah. Position know, value. Mm -hmm. Value. So in that light, I, I want to ask you about both Bowens, Drake Bowen, um, the linebacker, if if that it weren't position priority, would he have a chance to be a five star? And then Peyton Bowen, do you think he's better than Kyle Hamilton? I don't think Peyton Bowen is better than Kyle Hamilton. Kyle okay. Hamilton was a little bit more of a just natural guy, kind of like a you know there was a there was a player who I'll, I won't mention, but he had a nickname. His name was a uh, born ready, and I think Kyle Hamilton was more of a, a born ready kind of guy. Uh, Peyton Bowen is a very natural guy. He affects the game in all phases of the area, and we have him as a five star, top ten player, I believe, for a reason. Um, so I don't want to take I don't, I don't want Peyton to take that as a slight, but I do like Kyle Hamilton a little bit better. Um, and there was a reason he was the first. I think he was the first safety taken in this past draft. Um, you know, in terms of um, uh, Drake right. Bowen, though, I mean, there is a possibility that position value may have affected his star rating so far, but the all-star season is going to tell us a lot about him. There is a concern that he might be a little bit physically ma uh, maxed out. Uh, a lot of times these uh, linebackers that end up going in the first round still are growing and fill out their frames and, and develop their even their game more when they end up, you know, when, when they get to the college level. 
where Drake is kind of arriving almost, at least this is our opinion so far, as a more of a finished product. This guy is going to be an impact player almost from the minute he steps on the field. Now, can he continue to develop his game? Can he continue to have a consistent performance at the college level, just like he has at the high school level? I mean, this guy has absolutely dominated at the high school level. I'm interested to see how that how that uh, how that changes at the college level. If it happens immediately, will he grow into that? Will he be a guy like a Michael Parsons, who is a star from day one, or um, you know who we who we just saw at um, shoot at LSU? I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, uh, the freshman, yeah, the freshman linebacker there, um, Harold Perkins. Uh, is that his name? Perkins, yes, Perkins. Thank you. Um, you know, when these guys sign, I, I completely forget their names. <laughs> yeah, no, you're good. <laughs> Harold Perkins. Uh, um, clean out the hard drive for the next class. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, Harold Perkins. I mean, can, these guys stepped on the field, were stars from day one. I don't know if he's as explosive as those guys. Um, I don't know if he's, uh, you know, those guys aren't as physically mature as Drake is at this point either. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that all that pans out. Adam, Notre Dame jumped out in front was the number one recruiting class for quite some time in the 2023 class. They've had a similarly fast start in the 2024 class. I'm curious, is it harder to hold on to that now in this NIL amplified era where guys are going to be poached to the end, or is this sort of a continuation of how things have always been? Uh, I think it is a little bit harder now because things are less, I mean, obviously everything that was happening, you know, under the table and quietly is out in the open now. Um, and, and there are rules preventing legitimate agreements before they sign and, and all that. But we, you know, let's not kid ourselves. We know that's not true. They're, we know that, they're, they're, that these deals are essentially in place uh, before the players sign. And, you know, that's just the, that's the nature of the beast right now. Um, and I think that's something that Notre Dame, you know, for better or worse, is maybe not as ahead of the game. In. And, and there are other factors at play when you consider Notre Dame football and Notre Dame football recruiting that draw players to South Bend, that draw players to playing for the Fighting Irish. And I think that's something that, you know, they'll need to have resonate more on the recruiting trail uh, to try and battle some of this. But, you know, on-field success, you know, there's no substitute for that. Um, you, know, you know, so we'll, we'll see how that all that pans out over the next few years for the Fighting Irish. Um, just look at, you know, for just for argument's sake here, look at the state of Florida right now and the three big three in, in the state of Florida. The two teams that had the worst seasons on the field have the higher recruiting rankings. Um, you know, Florida State had, was, the, was clearly the best team on the field, but they may not have the highest rated recruiting class. So, you know, take for that what you will. Um, you know, they're, they're doing what they, what, they're doing some good things in the transfer portal. Um, we'll see how that, all that pans out, but um, I think that um, I don't know how quickly that might change, but, you know, I think that's kind of the model right now for Notre Dame win on the field. The rest of it will come. Adam, last one for me, Texas A&M in the last cycle was reputed to be the team that maybe was paying people out in the open the most. And they had a number one recruiting class. And then you look at the portal right now and it's loaded with Texas A&M players including a lot of those kids that were in last year's class. And I'm wondering what conclusions can we draw from that? I mean, it, or, or is it just too early? Is it, is there a cautionary tale there is, you know, what, cause I, I think when Notre Dame fans need to be talked off the ledge, I kind of point to Texas A&M and say, well, that's not a um, happily ever after, at least not at this point. 
Yeah, I mean, it's this has been a fun topic to follow for I don't know how how many months out now since yeah. since last last signing period. Uh, it's really um it's really been a precipitous fall for this this 2022 Texas A&M recruiting class. So, um, you know, I think it isn't necessarily a a sign of things to come for other classes that are seemingly put together with with nil money but um watching this this group kind of go their separate ways uh, it has a lot to do with how things transpired on the field and um you know you look at how this the, the offensive coordinator is going to be changing over who's going to be calling plays next year what uh, kind of rumors were, were coming out of the locker room about you know, strange behaviors and, and um, you know, all the shenanigans. We saw social media videos of, of guys doing whatever, you know, with uh, with their cars in parking lots and all this stuff. I mean, our parking garages. So They're free cars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's all uh, it's all fun drama to follow. But um, I don't think that this is necessarily a, a sign of things to come. I think it could be more of a cautionary tale. Whereas, you know, hey, if things don't go well early on the field, you could lose a group of highly rated players who are, frankly, just used to having success and not necessarily facing the adversity of that the that the Aggies had this season. Um, and, you know, a coach in Jimbo Fisher who, you know, he's you know, he's, he's earned his reputation. He has a lot of, he's, he's won a lot of games. You know, he, he did well at Florida state. He's got a national championship and, and all that. And, you know, we'll see if he's able to adjust if, if uh, you know, we know how older coaches are that can be stuck in their ways, just coaches in general, I should say. And um, you know, if he doesn't necessarily adjust, then what's to say these players should, should remain uh, loyal to a guy who isn't really willing to, to do the best thing for the team. All right, Adam, that's all we have for you. We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us, and uh, hopefully you can get some sleep over these next couple of days. Fit a little bit of sleep here in there. my voice. We're battling the cold this time of year, but we're, <laughs> we're fighting right now. <laughs> well, we appreciate it. Best of luck with everything, and thanks for all the help. Thanks, guys. As a reminder, the Inside Indy Sports podcast is presented by Dead Soxy, maker of the best dress socks you'll ever wear. And our friends at Dead Soxy want to say a big thank you to everyone who supported them during our partnership. And Tyler and I thank you too. And here's a little, another little gift from uh, Dead Soxy. If you haven't already gotten some socks this year, this might be the right time. Dead Soxy just dropped their gift guide and added a 12 pair bundle of navy and gold socks. And that's the sock colors and design that are for the team that you follow and the team that we cover. Okay. So navy and gold collection. If you use the promo code lucky at checkout the bundle is only 84 bucks 84 bucks for 12 pairs of socks and also there's some freebies that come with that one free mesh sock wash bag for each bundle i guess that's so your socks don't separate and you can only find one of them and then free priority two-day shipping so shop the gift guide at deadsoxy.com that's d-e-a-d-s-o-x-y.com and what you'll find is they come in this really cool box and all you have to do is stick a bow on it. And if you're like me and you wrap presents like a third grader, the box alone is, is the deal that you want. If you're a procrastinator, this is also perfect because of the two-day free shipping. But you've only got until 3 p.m. Wednesday for these to arrive for Christmas. So don't procrastinate this time. 
Remember, all the socks come with a patented technology with a no-slip guarantee. They're made from bamboo for that premium luxury feel. So that's deadsoxy.com, promo code LUCKY for the great deal on the 12-pair bundle. All right, now it's time for questions. Our question segment is powered by AcrePro Midwest Farm Group. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. AcrePro Midwest Farm Group are your local farmland specialists. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying and selling farmland, your local AcrePro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit AcrePro.com or call 765-587-3185 and talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765-587-3185. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First one I have for us, Eric, is from at uh, SJB75 on the Insider Lounge message board. I'm curious as to what both of you believe will happen concerning Peyton Bowen on National Signing Day. You know, I'm going to be really honest. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I I haven't, I mean, I'm not the one talking to sources like Kyle and, and to a certain extent Tyler are. Uh, I've just kind of been following this from, and just kind of seeing from experience, my my thought is the longer this goes, the better it is for Notre Dame. That doesn't mean it'll flip back to Notre Dame's favor, but it seems like there was momentum made in the home visit where it seemed like it was going to be a done deal or the home visit last Thursday wasn't even going to happen. Uh, so, you know, I've seen this movie a little bit before, maybe not with this many twists to it. Um, and I've seen things go Notre Dame's way um, at the end on these things. And I've seen it go the other way. I, I guess if I had to flip a coin, I would say he's going to surprise us and end up at Notre Dame. But I am not confident in, a, in that at all. That's absolutely a guess. I didn't even use my magic eight ball for that. Oh, man, that's funny. Because I've been one of the people that said, oh, he's going to sign with Notre Dame. And I did that in my final prediction at the big start of the month. And then at this point, I'm saying, no, he's not, he's not signing with Notre Dame. He's going to go to Oklahoma. Uh, that that's what I would guess. Um, I I would be more surprised if he signed with Notre Dame at this point. Um, it's just, there's just been too much going on for it to seem that he would circle back to Notre Dame. I mean, nothing's impossible. If, if Notre Dame, if Notre Dame manages to get Peyton Bowen to sign, that's, that's quite the feat. I mean, they've, they've, (laughs) They've been going against every sort of obstacle seemingly possible in this in this recruiting battle. Um, so we'll see if they can pull that off. But at, at this point, I, I I don't feel good about that that chance right now. All right. Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. Although Notre Dame is signing a good class on Wednesday, the loss of several five star players is disappointing. Do you think that Notre Dame can truly compete for and win a national championship? without getting into the NIL pay-for-play game? Marie, that's one of the reasons I asked Adam Friedman the question, uh, because I wanted another opinion. I think they're getting enough. I mean, it's it's this is another kind of I don't know, because we don't really know if the future trends are going to stay the way they are this year or if there's going to be lessons learned or if there are going to be new rules that come in from Congress. Right. Um, 
Well, I don't think that's ever happening. Congress is too inept to do yeah. anything. Yeah, they seem to have a different agenda. <laughs> um, but um, I'll, that's all I'll say on that. The other thing is, could Notre Dame be a little bit more active in the portal if they're, um, they relaxed a little bit about the transfer credit situation? Could they just kind of cherry pick five-star caliber athletes uh, players that had grown up in in programs, let's say the Fisk kid from Western Michigan. I'm not saying he's a five star transfer, but he's a much better player uh, as a fifth year. That all the Power Five schools or a lot of Power Five schools were interested in, that had no Power Five schools interested uh, coming out of high school. Same with um, Cephas Dante Cephas, who probably won't end up at Notre Dame, the Kent State receiver. Boy, he had some great offers, and he was a two star. So maybe maybe Notre Dame can make up for that uh, because I don't think I mean there are transfer portal kids that are also looking for guarantees. But if Notre Dame starts putting together a track record of their star players making big bucks in the NIL market, then maybe that's not such a hard sell. So I, I'm not ready to draw conclusions yet. I understand your concerns, but I I want to see this play out a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I, I had to take one uh, qualm with the question. Notre Dame hasn't lost several five-star players. Um, they, they, they've lost uh, Keon Keeley and Dante Moore. Those are two guys that at some point Notre Dame thought would sign with Notre Dame. Um, and then Peyton Bowen is a five-star and we'll see what happens Wednesday. So that would be three. Three is not several in my book. Uh, but uh, regardless of that, to the point of the question, I, I agree with you. I think it's too soon to say, I don't know that we, know for sure what the current how the current nil market will reflect what it looks like in four years it will will it be the same way for the next four years um or is this sort of an early boom that's going to come back to sort of more a more reasonable thing i think i think regardless notre dame i mean it's sort of what adam said notre dame can compete for uh, a national championship because it's gonna it should be able to get in the playoff i don't what's happening now isn't gonna make it with the expanded playoff isn't going to make it harder to do, get to the playoff. Like I think Notre Dame still is going to have that path. Now winning the playoff, I don't know that that's necessarily going to become easier. Um, and I don't know that Notre Dame's ever going to be able to do that if it's not getting five-star recruits with more regularity. I've always, I've, I've always been of the opinion, like, Hey, if you get like, if you get a lot of highly ranked four-star guys, like if you say, you, I mean, Notre Dame, I think right now has five top 100 guys, maybe six if you get like 10 of those a year, like that, that can balance out, like not getting three five-star recruits. Like if you get a lot of those guys that are, cause there's plenty of those guys in the top 100 that pan out as well. They might not be, I mean, the five-star guys are five-star guys for a reason, but those guys don't always pan out. But if you get a lot, a lot of really quality guys and the quantity picks up, you can afford to have some of those misses. And that's been part of Notre Dame's problem with the five-star recruits. It gets them so infrequently and not the, not all those guys pan out, and so that one 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 doesn't pan out. It feels like the world is ending because Notre Dame just doesn't get enough of them. Um, so I think that is would be the way to sort of counter that. But um, I I I understand the concern, and I do think like if it does continue this way, and Notre Dame's um, stance on NIL and it's obstacles in bringing in transfer portal players continue to be what they are 
I think the the goalposts get moved further away for Notre Dame in terms of being able to win a national championship. I don't know if that's how it's going to all play out, but I think there is the potential for that if everything sort of if everything sort of goes to this worst case scenario, um, follows this worst case scenario trajectory. The, 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 and we mentioned with um, you know in the interview with Adam about Texas A and M is that a cautionary tale? Is that show how fragile these heavy transfer you know cultures are where you have all these people coming in from all these different places if things start to go wrong you know yeah are they losing makes everything worse i mean that's the yeah. i mean that's the answer for that like we'll see the right. same thing happen at right. those florida schools that struggled or that that like adam pointed out like hey these aren't the best yeah. teams in florida but they're getting the best recruits now if they continue to stink then they're probably going to lose all those guys right yeah that's, that's that's what's going right. to end up happening well i'll compare it to notre dame when they started Oh, and two, they had a strong culture that helped them turn things around instead of guys, you know, bailing and and pointing fingers at each other. So long term, we got to see how that plays out. The other thing is, you know, Notre Dame, when we've talked to Adam Gorney and some other people, they've said Notre Dame needs to upgrade at quarterback, wide receiver and cornerback. And when you look at this class in particular, it's a huge upgrade in terms of at least the caliber of prospects they're signing. They still have to develop them. Same with cornerback. I mean, I can't believe how many three-star cornerbacks Notre Dame signed since 2010. It's it's incredible. I'm going to be writing about it. Um, and then, um, you know, quarterback, you have to feel good about C.J. Carr and I think Kenny Minchie um, and and maybe even Tyler Buckner if, if he turns around. I know there's a lot of skeptics. People just threw things at whatever they're listening to this podcast about, but I think there's still belief that there's some really good upside there. And I'm, I'm probably one of the ones there uh, thinking that, but um, they are upgrading in the areas where they're the weakest, despite the NIL. So let's see how it plays out. Yeah. I, I would add defensive ends to the mix. And that's why the Keon Keeley one yeah. hurts so much, um, especially giving the current cycle of Notre Dame's roster. There's not like a right. top notch, future right. viper that, that's obvious for for Notre Dame that's that's obvious I mean but but let's look at the five guys that made the American football coaches all American team Jarrett Patterson three-star um Isaiah Foskey four-star um and not a high four-star Michael Mayer a very high four-star you know Michael Vinson was a zero-star walk-on and then um who am I missing I think I, oh Joe Alt Joe Alt Three star. So Notre Dame has a very good track record of development, but you need to get, I mean, you got a greater margin for error when you do get those high four star and five star players. There's no question. All right. Uh, next question is from Ryan Urquhart. Ur- uh, please, Ryan, tell me how I'm supposed to pronounce your name in the future. Uh, I, I can't imagine that I'm getting that right. Uh, I'm going to say your court. Your court. Okay. Uh, and the Twitter handle is your court CRNA. And so if I'm saying it wrong, I'm blaming Eric. Uh, This question is currently Notre Dame is fourth in the updated rivals recruiting rankings. And this does not account for the pending decommitments of Jaden Lamar and or Peyton Bowen. Somehow LSU is seventh, despite what we know about Brian Kelly's distaste for recruiting. How do you reconcile this? Does it mean that it is easier to attract top talent at LSU or harder at Notre Dame, given what we know about the head coach's involvement in recruiting at each program. It seems Marcus Freeman has had to put in substantially more effort for a similar result as Kelly and LSU. 
Okay, so let's take this year and last year out of the, the mix. In the prior 12 years, so from 2010 to 2021 recruiting cycles, LSU was the higher ranked class in 10 of those 12. So by and large, LSU has had the higher rated recruiting classes. That that spans the whole entirety of the Brian Kelly era where he was doing all the recruiting. In uh, these last two, you know, in with the coaching change, Notre Dame finished ahead of LSU last year. And also a lot of that was Marcus Freeman recruiting all those great defensive players. And then this year right now, in this moment, Notre Dame is ahead of LSU. What I'll say about Brian Kelly is I don't think Brian Kelly was an awful recruiter. I think he was a really good closer. I think he was a willing recruiter when his recruiting coordinator said, we need this from you. But he wasn't aggressive like Marcus. He wasn't willing to be the lead recruiter on all the recruits. He was willing to wait until it got to critical times. And then he was willing, in his mind, willing to jump in and so forth. And Brian Kelly's a pretty likable guy. The other thing is, I do think it is easier to recruit at LSU and a lot of places than it is Notre Dame, simply because if you start with geography, I mean, Notre Dame's got to cover the whole country. LSU is getting people from other parts of the country, but they can get a lot in LSU or Louisiana and get a lot in Texas. And so you're not, your staff isn't stretched as much. I mean, a one hour flight is way different than a five hour flight. Um, so I think those are, and, and then there's a larger pool you know, there's a larger academic pool, but I still think that, uh, you know, Marcus Freeman is the right fit for Notre Dame because he is, and, and Adam Freeman kind of backs this up. He's unafraid to go after these big time athletes uh, where I think sometimes Brian just said, ah, let's not go after him because it's it's not worth it. We're going to spend all this time and money and we're not going to end up with them anyways. I think he just kind of lowered the ceiling on some of the prospects. So I don't, I think Brian's also got some very good recruiting assistants, including Mike Denbrock. Yeah, I, I guess first, like, I'm not following LSU's recruiting to the depth that we follow Notre Dame's recruiting. So I can't speak to how hard Brian Kelly has worked for this class down at LSU. Uh, He's danced. Sure. Um, But I mean, Brian Kelly has recruited good classes before. I mean, it's not like he like never had good recruiting classes. The 2013 was, it was his best class and um, sort of to, speak to how Notre Dame has to recruit four of those players were from Florida. Three of them were from Texas, two are from California. This current LSU class has 10 recruits from Louisiana. That's it. You're you're like, you can build a really good recruiting class for LSU with owning, owning the state of Louisiana and then picking places where you go to. I think it has probably helped Brian Kelly as someone that has previously recruited nationally and maybe bringing in some coaches that have recruited nationally as well. That, that, it, it Notre Dame is still tapping into some of those connections or not Notre Dame LSU is c- tapping into some of those connections that this, st- that, that staff down there created during its previous stops, uh, including some at Notre Dame. When you talk about Mike Denbrock or Brian Polian. Um, so I think that is probably helped in, in his sort of transition down there. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's just easier to recruit at LSU. I mean, that's, that's part of the reason why Brian Kelly would consider going there if someone doesn't like recruiting and you can go somewhere where it's easier to do it, uh, 
why would like that that seems like a a, a no-brainer right like okay if it's not going to be as hard for me to recruit down there what isn't that a, that's a pro not a con uh in in the decision to leave notre dame um i did some uh, similar but different research in terms of past lsu recruiting classes so lsu's class is ranked seventh currently i think they may end up finishing higher i think they have a chance to to close well but a seventh ranked class would be the sixth highest ranking class for LSU in the last 10 classes, including this one. So th- this is not like, this isn't like an out of the norm class for LSU. This is a technically a below average class. Um, it's been top five and in, in five of the past nine recruiting cycles. Uh, and you could even say eight because the 2022 class, it wasn't, um, it was a four in 2021, four in 2020, 2019, it was three. So that this is the kind of level that LSU recruits at regularly. Now, obviously you got to go do the job. Um, and LSU had some big wins this season. And so I, I imagine that helped. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's definitely easier to recruit at, at, at LSU than it is at Notre Dame. Um, and, and Marcus Freeman's figuring out how he can do it. But yeah, I, I like what Notre Dame is doing in terms of going after those top athletes. There's even guys like Notre Dame didn't really make it very far. And like uh, Nicole's Harbor, for instance, is a, is a really right. spectacular athlete that, Notre Dame at least was working on like he, nothing really ever came of it, but they didn't just like say, well, we'll never get that guy. Let's not even mess with it. They, they went right. out there, they would make visits to that school. They wanted to try to get it to work. It didn't work, but I commend Notre Dame for putting in those efforts. And I think over the long run, some of those will, some of those will hit, like you, you got it. You have to sort of maximize your opportunities in this recruiting game. And I think Notre Dame is doing that to a level where it, it, it to it to as much of a level as it can with with obviously the the constraints that it has as with its sort of recruiting and academic profile i think one thing i mean this is a micro look at it but i think there were two key recruiting battles with lsu that notre dame won and there might have been more but two that stuck out to me one was jay nosbury who's goes to school on lsu's campus as high school is on lsu's campus the other one is Christian Gray, um, and having talked to Christian about this, his high school coach got hired by Brian Kelly to be an assistant coach at LSU, Robert Steeples. And I said, how, how did that work out? How tough was that, that your high school coach, who you love from Dismet, is on Brian Kelly's staff? And he said, when I made my decision, it took him two days to work up the courage to tell Coach Steeples he wasn't coming to LSU. <laughs> So that's how hard it was to say no. But he said, Marcus Freeman has been my guy from day one. And so that was an important recruiting battle. So those, I think Notre Dame fans can feel pretty good about those two in particular. All right. Next question is from at Bobby Bancroft. How different is the recruiting process for portal guys? It seems to be more low key or even hush hush, especially for the quarterbacks. It seems different because a portal slash grad quarterback is likely a surefire starter. Do you recall how it went with Jack Cohn as compared to non-QB portal guys? Okay, let me start with that part of the question. Um, Jack Cohn was, um, it seemed like there wasn't a whole lot of buzz about that until it looked like it was going to happen. You know, until there was momentum about it happening. It happened pretty quickly. Um, And yeah, I think there's, how different is the recruiting process from portal guys? I only really have the Notre Dame experience to look at. It may be a little bit different at other schools, but 
yeah, there's a lot more. It, it, it's in such a more of a condensed period, especially guys you're trying to get into school. Um, and, and Notre Dame is quiet about it. I, I, you know, um, what's the cornerback's name? Nick um, McLeod. McLeod. Notre Dame contacted him in January and kind of put him on the back burner and wanted to see how spring practice played out in 2020. Unfortunately for them, there was one spring practice. So they didn't get a really good look at their young cornerbacks and they decided they needed to bring in a veteran presence. So they offered him after what spring ball would have been. I think they offered him in May and kind of lured him in in May, but they were very quiet about even having an interest in him before that. I just think with with the recruits, the high school recruits, you want to publicize that. It's a longer process. You've been recruiting this guy since he was a freshman. Um, with the portal, I think it's more strategic because of the small window and and just uh, you don't want other people to know what you're doing. Uh, I, that's been my experience so far. Yeah, I mean, it, it, as with many things, it, it's a lot of it's on an individual basis. Like, I think a lot of it has to do with the player. Like, how does the player want to handle it? Like, if, if the player broadcasts everything he's doing, it's easier to cover, gets talked about more. Um, I mean, just look at look at Drew Pine, for instance. Like, he wasn't tweeting about what schools were offering him or where he was visiting. There end up being reports about him visiting BYU and then visiting Arizona State. The Arizona State report, I don't even think it actually came out until after that visit sort of occurred. And then he ended up committing to Notre Dame or Arizona State shortly after that. So it, it, it depends on the person. Like, I think you'll see, especially if you're talking like grad transfers, these, these, these are players who much, who are much more mature. They're not in it for like Twitter followers and like attention. They're, they're trying to better their careers. So they're not maybe as interested in like all the attention that comes with it as these high, as, as they, they may have been as a high schooler. Now, maybe there are different guys that want that, or maybe even need to sort of, broadcast what's happening to them because that can potentially open more opportunities for them. I say, well, if, well, if Michigan has offered, offered this guy, then maybe we should start considering that or or that, that can also work that way in the transfer portal, just like it works that way with recruiting. So it's different. Notre Dame, I can say from trying to report on some of these things has tried to conceal its portal activity this off season. It is not um, as open about what it's doing. Um, even sometimes off the record. Uh, so it, and I think, and I haven't like nailed anyone to this. I think, especially when you talk about the undergrads, it's it, Notre Dame risks looking like it's missing on everyone. If it like offers a kid and then it finds out a week later that it's, there's no chance that this kid's ever going to get into Notre Dame or the, the, the credits aren't going to transfer and it's just not going to make a lot of sense. And so it, I think Notre Dame is being more particular about that because if it looks like Notre Dame offered 30 portal guys and let's say 17 of them uh, can't get into the um, can't get into Notre Dame, then, then they sort of look bad. So I, I think that plays into it. I think from the quarterback level, like, I mean, they're looking, they've, they've looked at some undergrads. They look at some, some graduates, they need to sort of figure out what they want to do. And I, I think there is some strategic, what they believe is some sort of a strategic advantage to, to keep some of that, uh, 
but sort of below the um, radar and try to get guys and be able to win a guy's recruitment without it being as public. So I think it, there's different ways to look at it and uh, different ways to handle it, but we'll see how it plays out. I mean, I think Notre Dame has some guys like, like Caleb Smith, for instance, he, he tweets out that he's going to, he's going to visit, he visits, and then we'll see if he ends up committing to Notre Dame. Um, I think the quarterback action now his tweets are on private. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll see, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, but yeah, Jack Cohn's recruitment was not, was not high profile. Um, he, he, and that's, that, that is not necessarily a reflection of Notre Dame, but is a reflection of Jack Cohn. <laughs> if you know, Jack Cohn, he's not interested in the media attention or any of that stuff. So, uh, he, he, he found the fit there for him and, um, just sort of <laughs> tweeted about it and, Moved on. All right. Next question is from Nathan Reynolds at Enforcers2117. After seeing some of the quarterbacks in the portal commit to other places or projected other places, who are your top quarterbacks left? And do you think Notre Dame's number one guy is Sam Hartman? Also, what do you think about Drew Pine committing to Arizona State? I'll start with that part. I think it's cool for Drew Pine to go to Arizona State. It seems like a good um situation for him where there's not a ton of competition and uh he'll have a chance to start he'll have a really good offensive mind in Kenny Kenny Dillingham uh so I I think that's great for Drew Pine he certainly earned a chance to be a starting quarterback somewhere I just and I think Arizona State's program is a at a place where they're looking for somebody to make them better not necessarily win a national championship so I like I like that pairing um, as far as Notre Dame's number one priority, I, I still think that Notre Dame would have moved on one of these guys that, that jumped in the portal on December 5th if they didn't think there were better options possibly coming after bowl season. Um, and I think, you know, Sam Hartman would certainly be somebody I think they'd have a lot of interest in. And I also think Michael Pratt, and I think they just fit better than Hudson Card would. I, I just, I don't think he gives you, I think he, he could be a spectacular quarterback, but if you're looking for experience, he doesn't have much more experience than uh, Tyler Buckner has, and he definitely doesn't have more experience than Drew Pine had. Uh, and he also has multiple years, which I think causes some ripples maybe with the younger quarterbacks on the roster saying, well, what the heck? Uh, you know, I think they can live with Tyler Buckner having multiple years, but when you have two quarterbacks, you got to hop over uh, and you're Kenny Minchie or CJ Carr or Steve Angeli. I think that would cause you to kind of scratch your head and say, well, what do they think of me? So right now for me, I think, um, you know, Notre Dame is going to end up with somebody that may not even be in the portal at this point. Yeah. Um, so the at one point we were asked to like give our top three guys. Um, and my my top three at that point were Devin Leary, DJ Uyunglele, and Hudson Card. Um, at that point, Grayson Do you remember McCur what mine was? No, are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> uh, I usually you keep track when I'm wrong, so it must have been good picks. Well, uh, well, I. I don't know that I could, you could be wrong on that yet. So uh, maybe I'll go back and find, I had to go back and look up mine. I couldn't remember exactly my order. I had a, I had a sense of the, of who it was or what, but not necessarily the order. I know in my last live chat, I said 
Hartman was, and I said, and it could change tomorrow. So, um, and so at that point, Grayson McCall wasn't in the the portal. I would have moved him up to to third ahead of Hudson Card. Um, Sam Hartman obviously isn't in the portal yet, and Michael Pratt isn't in the portal yet. Uh, so they're not necessarily on my list yet. Um, I and, and so I, I bring up all those guys to sort of recap where where those guys are at. Devin Leary has has uh, committed to Kentucky. That's the only one that's done so far at least to my knowledge, and maybe something has changed since we started recording our podcast, but uh, Grayson McCall, there's been Auburn and Florida rumors. I haven't even been able to sort of keep track of what is or isn't happening there. Um, Hudson Carr has been connected to Oregon, Oregon State, and Illinois. Um, I think Oregon is probably turning up the heat on Hudson Carr, given the Dante Moore late flip to uh, UCLA. Um, So that's sort of where things are. It doesn't sound necessarily like Notre Dame's going to end up with any of those guys, but we will see how that plays out. I wouldn't rule anything out quite yet. Um, I, I, I would imagine it would be if Sam Hartman enters the, enters the transfer portal, it's hard for him to not be the top option if that's something he wants to do. I, his resume and experience, I think, sort of trumps things. The nature of him just being a one-and-done guy, I think, is the easiest and cleanest way for Notre Dame to proceed. Um, so I think that that would make a lot of sense. Um, as for Drew Pine and Arizona State, I think that choice makes a lot of sense. The Kenny Dillingham sort of resume of what he did with Bo Nix this past season, I think, is attractive for quarterbacks. I I don't think Drew Pine's skill set is to the level that Bo Nix's is, is, but but Drew Pine is going to have confidence in himself. And if Kenny Dillingham says, "Hey, I can do that for you," I think that would be sort of hard to turn down. So I uh, I think uh. It seems like a good situation for Drew Pine. I, I know Arizona State's roster isn't in the best of shape, so I don't know what it's going to look like for him with the talent around him. But um, at least from the coaching perspective, it, it makes sense for him to get into that system um, and try to put himself in the best position to continue to to develop as a quarterback. All right, next question is from at Drew Brennan 77. Do you think ND is a player for any of the Stanford players that are in the portal? At one point, I think there was some interest in Stephen Heron Jr., uh, the defensive end, and he ended up going back to Louisville, which is his hometown, and he's going to play for Jeff Brom. Um, I'm not sure that there's any interest. I really haven't heard rumblings beyond him. I know there's a bunch of those guys in the portal, but I think that was the one that they were kind of focused on that thought would be a good fit. Yeah, that's the only one that I had heard uh with some interest i don't know that notre dame ever ended up pushing really hard for him um and so he ended up at louisville um none of the other guys made a ton of sense at least from the names that i looked i looked through to see who from stanford was in the portal um uh, two of them are linebackers lavani demuni he ended up at utah jacob mangum farrer is still uncommitted to my knowledge um, two offensive linemen went to Michigan. One's an offensive tackle in Miles Hinton. I don't know that Notre Dame needs an offensive tackle right now. Uh, Drake he Nugent wants to sit on the bench. Drake Nugent is a center, um, so maybe he's better than Zeke Carell. But I hadn't heard that Notre Dame pursued him in any way, and uh, hard to turn down that opportunity to go to Michigan. Get based off what Notre Dame just or Michigan just did with its center 
uh, as a Virginia transfer um, and it winning back-to-back Joe Moore awards. So I think there's an obvious um, pull there and to go with his teammate, Miles Hinton, to to Michigan. Jonathan McGill is the other guy that's been committed somewhere as a safety. And I think Notre Dame could have – could or should have some interest in safeties, but that didn't that didn't uh, sort of progress, and he has committed to SMU. So I, at this point, I'm not anticipating anything happening, but um, we'll see if there's any more guys that come available that that makes sense for for Notre Dame. All right, next question is from at Henry Bede. Michigan has won back-to-back Joe Moore awards and has commitments from three transfer offensive linemen. Is Notre Dame willing to re- recruit? over promising young players with good veteran transfers? Oh, I think they were able, I mean, they showed a willingness to do that even with an average uh, veteran transfer and Kane Madden um, because they felt like whoever were the guards at that point that were up and coming weren't ready to be starters. Um, but again, I think there's always ripples. I mean, Michigan, that's their approach. If you are um, going to recruit a one-and-done offensive guard for next year to go with Joe Alt and Zeke Carell and Blake Fisher, are you willing to have Billy Shrouth or Rocco Spindler or Andrew Kostovic jump into the portal because of that move? I mean, there's always um, has to be that kind of thought. To me, I love what's what Strouth and and Rocco can bring to the table. So I would not be willing to do that. I don't think Notre Dame is an offensive guard away from winning a national championship. I don't think it's worth right. investment yeah. uh, to do that. If it was the one missing piece, then I would consider it, but, but not in this case, and certainly not somebody with multiple, uh, multiple years of eligibility. That just is a slap in the face to those guys that have worked so hard. And really to Tosh Baker and Michael Carmody, I mean, they're going to be in the mix, even though they're tackles. If they're one of the five best offensive linemen, they'll play. They'll move those guys inside. So uh, I think there's a lot of guys that have worked really hard that have a lot of talent, and I don't think Notre Dame needs to do that. Yeah, I. while you were answering the question, I started pulling up like Michigan's previous offensive line recruits. And the 20... 21 class had four four-star guys in it i don't think any of them are current starters so maybe they've missed i honestly don't even know if any of those guys how many of those guys are still on the roster maybe some of those guys have even transferred out already or in the in the portal their 2022 class uh included two offensive linemen and they were both three-star recruits so i don't know that i don't know that michigan has the same sort of young and promising offensive line prospects on its roster that it's, it's making that same sort of decision that Notre Dame could be making that decision for. Um, I don't know if this question is meant specifically to offensive line um, or is just using this as an example as, Hey, Michigan obviously has a good old line. So they're not, they're not being hesitant in bringing in more offensive linemen, but yeah, like you mentioned uh, with Caden Madden, they were willing to do that. I, I think, Wide receiver Caleb Smith for Virginia Tech would be an example of that. Notre Dame has young, promising wide receivers on the roster, um, and they're still pursuing um, a veteran transfer at that position. If uh, I, it's certainly a case by case basis, position it depends on your position group and your confidence in those guys. 
Um, and also the, the, the confidence of whoever you're bringing in of like, how will they fit in? How will, how will the team receive that? Um, I think, I think you have to be careful. And I think Notre Dame, especially giving its, its transfer uh, restrictions or limitations that if you chase off a young guy, you risk the ability to being able to replace him in future years. Like Notre Dame can't just keep bringing in a grad transfer and then count on bringing in three grad transfers the next three years uh, to replace a guy that's a freshman. That's not going to be on your roster for the next three years. Um, so I think Notre Dame is picking and choosing its spots there. If it feels like someone is a sure thing and is worth maybe upsetting guys then then they're willing to do that and i think that would be based on their read of maybe maybe this young and promising guy isn't as young and promising as we once thought he was was so i think um there's certainly layers to all of these decisions that are being made in terms of what's what Notre Dame is doing in, in the transfer portal all right next question is from at charles w wolf do you think buckner will be full-time this game or maybe just sprinkled in for certain packages like in 2021 Charles also tells us Merry Christmas. Well, Merry Christmas, Charles. And the vibe we're getting is that Tyler Buckner is going to start the game and that he would play at least most of the game. There may be uh, occasions where Notre Dame wants to take a look at Steve Angeli. They may have some packages for him. They certainly have the time to do that. But Tyler Buckner is going to be the primary quarterback in this game, barring a him stepping off the plane and spraining his ankle. <laughs> Don't give anyone flashbacks. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it sounds more like full-time at this point, and uh, that's that's the current expectation. All right, uh, next question is from Baba Ganoush at PLACT underscore ITFDB. Before games like Stanford and uh, USC where expectations were, expectations were ND had advantage with their offensive line versus opponent's run game, we expected dominance but got beat. Can he stand slash Reese do anything to prepare Andy's offensive line for an inferior defense slanting or moving right before the snap, like in aforementioned games? Yeah, they. I mean, especially with this much time, they should be able to do that. And that was a problem. So the Stanford and SC games, I think I look at them a little bit differently. I, I think in the Stanford game, that was Tommy Reese's worst game. He had a bad day at the office that day in terms of play call, in terms of play design strategy you know he didn't get a lot out of drew pine in that game uh it was it was i think tommy reese's worst game as an offensive coordinator at notre dame sc saw what navy did and and uh they had the unlike boston college they had the players that can make that work and really force notre dame to the passing game and notre dame did respond well with that and drew pine played very well uh, you know, Caleb Williams, the way that he was able to control the game, both offensively and defensively, they kind of out Notre Dame, Notre Dame in, in a way. They were able to run the ball. They were able to control clock, control tempo. Maybe if Notre Dame wins the toss, takes the ball first and plays with the lead, the game is a little bit different. But um, in terms of being able to deal with that pre-snap movement, yes, they're going to have to, but they also have to be ready to throw more than they maybe typically would like. I also think Tyler Buckner being a runner now, they don't want to run him a lot, but having that capability really kind of changes the dynamic of their offense. And, and if, you know, South Carolina, the other USC, if they want to do that, uh, they may have to deal with Tyler Buckner getting some outside runs and, and uh, 
that's one of the ways that Notre Dame has been able to counteract that with Deshaun Kaiser and Ian Book in the past. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame better be prepared for it. I mean, I, yeah. I think it has to know that this is coming. Um, I'm sure that Harry Heastan and Notre Dame's offensive line are planning for it. Um, but sometimes it's it's one thing to plan for. It's another thing to sort of master it and execute it. And people do it for a reason. It works. It's not easy to handle. Um, so Notre Dame needs to come up with schemes that can take advantage of that. Um, and try to put his offensive line in best in the best position, and then the offensive lineman got to got to take care of it. I, I one of the I, I think you are right. And one of the counters is well, maybe just throw the ball more. But I think the point of this question is like I don't want that to be the answer. I want them to be able to run the ball. Uh, so can they do that against a team that's doing these different things, even if they don't have the sort of uh, personnel that should be able to beat Notre Dame up front? Um, I don't think South Carolina. For though though South Carolina's defensive line may be inferior to Notre Dame's offensive line, they are big. Um, I I don't think that slanting and being like being quick are necessarily the things that works in South Carolina's advantage. Maybe the way it did for Navy and the way it did for USC. Like USC didn't have big defensive linemen. It had but it had defensive tackles that would be making that would be looping outside and and tackling Logan Diggs and making it hard for him to get a third down third down and one or two on a toss like that's what USC had on its defensive line so it it played to its strengths and moving around a bit I'm not sure that that's South Carolina's strengths but I think if they know that that's what can work against Notre Dame it's going to uh figure figure that out and, and try to implement it so we'll see if Notre Dame has the right counter for that you would think after having played against Navy and USC that Harry Heastand and Tommy Reese will have plenty of have had plenty of opportunities to think about what can work against something like that if that is 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 pre- presented to them, um, and uh, we'll see what what South Carolina chooses to do and how Notre Dame responds. All right, next question is from Andrew Callen at a Callen one. Very much enjoyed Eric's Charlie Weiss story time on Rakes of Malo's podcast. Has enough time passed to get the real story? on the Tommy versus Tom Reese debate. My theory was that BK was playfully trolling his newly promoted protege by trying to gaslight the media into changing his name. Um, I don't know if gaslight is the right word, but I think there's a couple things. I think Brian was having fun with it. And, and I think fun with us, not fun at our expense. And the other thing is Brian gets names wrong all the time. We we even made him mad because one time on our Place Your Bet segment, <laughs> Tyler had an over-under on how many names Brian would get wrong at the first press conference, and he did not take that well. He picked on me at a press conference to get back at us, and I was okay with that. Well, no, he messed up someone's name. <laughs> he did. He, me- he-, he messed up. He called John Shannon Scott Daly. He, he called him the wrong long sapper. He said, oh, there goes the there goes the prop bet or something like that. Or- right. But then the very next press conference, he was making fun of my tape recorder. <laughs> um, so he, he playfully and he got back at us. Um, he even with Tommy, there was a point when he was the quarterback at Notre Dame, Brian was calling Tommy Rees like with a Z at the end of his name. Yeah. So who knows? But yeah, there's but, a there's a list of Brian Kelly name he called Houston Griffith, Houston Griffin. Yeah. He called Jacob Matuska, Jacob Matuzak. 
Um, and so and he caught himself. He goes, I wish I had Matuzak. <laughs> so, uh, um, and Eric knows all about getting made fun of for the way or messing people's names up because I do that to him all the time as well. So, uh, well, he, the other thing is if the name's too difficult, I just change it to a state or a food. <laughs> like there was a guy named Randy Arozarena or whatever. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. For the Cardinals minor leagues, he's a star now at Tampa, and I called him Randy Arizona. It was just easier. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that I ever got like a full story. One of my theories behind it was that, so if you go to like the Notre Dame website, like and you search, or search, search, so you, say you search Tommy Reese Notre Dame, you can find his like und.com player profile, his, his player career, his stats, all that stuff, his bio. But then they needed to create a new one for Tommy Reese as a coach. And so my thought was that they just created a Tom Reese so they could have separate pages because the Tommy Reese URL was already taken. So I don't know if that played a role in it or not. It didn't really stick at like at all. I, I, Brian Kelly called him that and he appeared in some like on the website and maybe some maybe a media guide or two like that. But I, I don't know anyone that really called him Tom. And I think at one point we just asked him, do you want Tom or Tom? He's like, Tom, he's good with me. So uh, and I, I don't really know where that came from or um, why it came to be. And and uh, but I think uh, everyone's good with calling him Tommy. And that in, that includes Tommy himself. All right. Uh, last question we call or what last question we have is from at Murray O'Connell. What are your what are you two getting each other for Christmas? Well, Murray, it's a secret. If I told you, then it wouldn't be a surprise. Uh, but I will say this. Um, if I could get Tyler anything and I don't have this kind of pull or budget, I would get him a date with Taylor Swift. <laughs> uh, well, Taylor Swift is is has a boyfriend, Eric. So that would be that would be a uh, salacious. Uh, my uh my gift for she's Eric. always breaking up with her boyfriend isn't that <laughs> uh, the whole subject matter uh, of about 80 percent of her songs uh, yeah but that's old news eric you're 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 living in she's the past not mad at her boyfriends anymore <laughs> not currently no i mean she may still be mad at former ones but okay. um but isn't that the the inspiration for her music not always no i mean that was that the, that was that was uh her in the past but yeah i mean she makes a lot of music eric she can't write that many songs about strictly ex-boyfriends uh I, she's come out with like four albums in the last two but and a half years she came or out with remake of all her old albums right well, that's well yeah well that's because uh, sorry uh listeners who don't want to tear their swift lesson but i i'm that's because I don't don't explain it i'm well, just no i need i need to tell you that's because someone else owns the originals and she got mad about that. And so she can't make money off her old music. <laughs> it was probably one of her old boyfriends. <laughs> no, no, it was someone she really doesn't like. And she said, well, screw you. I'm going to, I'm going to just re-record them and make the money off the, off the new version. So uh, it's actually a shrewd business move by Taylor Swift. Uh, I will say this and all, all joking aside with Taylor, I, she was a, like a mega mentor on one of the uh, seasons of the voice. And the advice that she gave the singers, both from like a business standpoint and even tonal quality and things, she is amazing. She absolutely is brilliant. Um, so she, I may not like to listen to her music, but I do respect the way she goes about uh, putting it together. All right. That, uh, and that's the key to getting to Eric's heart is appearing on the voice because that is the that is the straight that is the vessel to get into Eric's uh 
understanding of the pop culture. He's all over the voice and he keeps me updated on who's winning and who's not winning. Uh, but anyway, back to my gift, Eric. I'm giving Eric Thursday and Friday off. He's getting to spend some time away and not having to worry about the transfer portal or recruiting in the, later this week. So that's that's my gift, Eric. And I don't know that I could give him a better gift than that. That's right. Friday, when we're supposed to have 55 mile an hour winds and blizzard conditions. So I'll have to stay in my house. I was hoping to spend time with my grandkids. We'll see. Maybe I can get them over and they can be marooned at my house yeah get yeah you got to get them over there on like thursday because i think thursday night's when all the snow's supposed to be coming so get them there they'll get snowed in you're like oh that's a shame i guess you gotta stay here all week and then you can have them shovel i mean it sounds like a perfect plan to, to me i have a snow blower the oldest one could probably handle that all right well that's it for today's episode of the inside indie sports podcast if you don't already you can subscribe to us on apple podcast spotify google podcast and other popular podcast platforms like what you hear give us a star rating leave a review and share our podcast feed with the next person who delivers something to your home and i'm sure plenty of you are getting those last minute christmas gifts coming your way um we will record another podcast next week before the gator bowl i will be down in jacksonville eric will be marooned in south bend potentially um and uh we're really looking forward to that one so make sure you tune in there uh we had did a monday night live show last night um, on YouTube. So you can catch that if you'd like to listen to that. I know we have a little bit, a bit of a crossover in some of the topics, but some of the, some of the newsy things that we talked to, especially uh, pertaining to like Gator Bowl prep, there wasn't a lot of Gator Bowl questions on this, uh, this podcast. So maybe you'd be interested in some of that. Subscribe to us there. We're trying to get to a hundred reviews on the Apple podcast platform. So please leave, leave a review there for us, help us out. As always, we will have plenty of coverage. We have lots of signing day coverage coming on InsideNDSports.com and stick with us for all your Notre Dame football coverage needs.